Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and 11925 kilohertz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu. In studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Luhoko and Neto Chimani. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa. South African rival parties unite to pay tribute to struggle icon Mamawini Matigizela Mandel. Condolences pour in for South Africa's former ambassador to the United Kingdom, Zola Skweia, and concerns over worsening humanitarian situation in refugee camps in Nigeria. In economics news, another petrol price increase looms in South Africa. And in sports news, Team South Africa to appeal Anna saw Jobodwana's disqualification at the Commonwealth Games. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussam. The Algerian Defense Ministry says most of the people who died in Wednesday's plane crash were army personnel and the families. 257 people were killed when a military plane crashed shortly after it took off from Bofarik Military Airport near the capital, Algiers. It's not yet clear what caused the crash. The army's chief of staff has ordered an investigation following the incident. The BBC's Rana Jawad reports. Pictures from the scene of the crash show dozens of body bags laying in an open green field. Officials from Algeria's Ministry of Defence say most of the dead are military personnel. Others who perished in the crash included the crew and people described as family members of those on board. An official from Algeria's ruling party said there were also 26 members of the Western Sahara Polisario movement on board the military aircraft. The Polisario Front is an Algerian-backed separatist group which has been struggling for the independence of the disputed Western Sahara territory that was annexed by Morocco in 1975. A Cairo military court has sentenced 36 people to death over their involvement in attacks against Coptic churches in Egypt. 48 people have been put on trial in connection with attacks on Coptic churches in the cities of Cairo, Tanta and Alexandria between 2016 and 2017. The attacks claimed by the Islamic State Jihadist group killed at least 80 people. The court's verdict now has to be considered by Egypt's Grand Mufti as it is required by law. The leader of South Africa's opposition EFF party, Julius Malema, says anti-apartheid struggle icon Winnie Madigizela Mandela is the president South Africa never had. He was speaking at the party's memorial service for Madigizela Mandela and Brantford in the Free State Province. Madigizela Mandela passed away last week at the age of 81 and will be buried on Saturday. Malema says the first female president of South Africa must come from the EFF. Winnie Mandela, the president we never had. Winnie Mandela, the president we were denied to have by men who suffered serious ego politics and will not allow themselves to be led by a woman. Winnie Mandela was a thinker. She had to think, she had to act, and that's why she did. Please don't be Will Barrows. You must be thinker. Don't live a coward life. Me, when I walk here as a product of Winnie Mandela, I am not scared of anything because I don't live a lie. Meanwhile, thousands of people attended the special official memorial service for Madigizela Mandela at the Orlando Stadium in Soweto in Johannesburg on Wednesday. One of the most moving of tributes to her came from her personal assistant, Zotwa Zwane. On Thursday morning, I went to her bedroom and she said to me, Zodwa, I am going to church after all. 
Can you imagine if anything can happen to me this year? What would I say to God if he asks me, why did you go to church? How can I say I didn't go to church because Zotwa was not there? Zotwa auna zulu. Please prepare my uniform and let me go to church. And I did just that. And finally, researchers have found that a new kind of mosquito net substantially increases protection against malaria-carrying insects. The discovery was made in a two-year study involving more than 15,000 children in Tanzania. The BBC's Roger Walker reports. In recent years, progress against malaria has stalled as mosquitoes carrying the infectious disease rapidly evolve the ability to resist insecticides. But now a team from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine has discovered that new mosquito nets incorporating a chemical called piperonyl butoxide block the natural defence mechanisms of the insects against pesticides. The researchers found that the number of malaria cases dropped by a third. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. always determined by the political situation of the time. I led a day-to-day existence which was determined by the security guards of the day. I was in and out of prison almost every month, if not every week. And the consequence of that was the children were always left alone. Those were perhaps the cruelest moments which have left an indelible mark in my heart. Mother of the nation See her love light shine It's 8.08 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Camps housing thousands of internally displaced persons and refugees in Nigeria are facing a variety of health challenges due to shortage of health personnel. In one of the camps in Benui State, which houses about 170,000 people, military health professionals had to intervene to assist in service provision, while the Cross River State Government is working on the provision of health facilities in the communities where refugee camps are located. Channel Africa's correspondent in Lagos, Collins Atohengbe, has more. Concern was first expressed in the last quarter of 2017 when it was reported that the camps were overcrowded and some lacked adequate water supply in the face of poor sanitation. The fear then was that in the event of any epidemic, quite a number of the inmates in the camps would be affected. Then came the influx of refugees from Cameroon who were fleeing Yaoundé's tough stance against the political agitation in the English-speaking western part of the country, which stepped up its call for self-determination. From then on, the continued attack on unsuspecting communities by nomadic terror gang known as Fulani Hesmet swelled the number of internally displaced persons in the camp, while the challenges of meeting the need of the IDPs, especially in healthcare delivery, increased as well. In Cross River State, for instance, where a lot of fleeing Cameroonians are in camp, the government has begun a mega project to build three states of the at general hospitals to ease health-related problems. The state's commissioner for health, Dr. Iyang Asibong, says the project is part of the government's efforts to guide against any future health catastrophe. This is supposed to serve the Cross River State Health 
insurance scheme like the Yade Care. It's about making sure that we avoid catastrophic health expenditure, making sure that when you are sick, you can actually access health care, even, even if you don't have money in your pocket at that particular time. And for a token sum of 1,000 naira per month, you can actually access a wide range of health care services. The Cross River State's Director of Primary Health Care Program, Betty Edu, says location of the facilities is quite good, particularly for the use of internally displaced persons and Cameroonian refugees who are in camp in the community. I think this project is very, very timely for us right now. In Cross River State, there are over 20,000 registered refugees from Cameroon. In this area, this particular community where we are sitting right now, we have over 10,000 at Ajasor, at Agbakum, and the rest of the environs here, we have these refugees. And so if we do not have health facilities where these people can carry out more comprehensive, complex health challenges can be attended to, then there's a problem on our hands. So Benue State, which has continued to experience ceaseless attack from Fulani Hetzmen, has well over 170,000 internally displaced persons in camp. This is apart from the close to 32,000 Cameroonian refugees in the various camps in the state. The state's commissioner for health, Cecilia Ojabo, says the task of meeting the health needs of refugees and displaced persons has been very very overwhelming. We've been battling with the health challenges because the population is overwhelming. Our doctors at the general hospital level have been on strike, so we have to employ the services of the nurses because the community health extension workers could not face the challenges. Even though my doctors from the ministry are supervising and seeing patients, but the hands were not enough. Some of the health challenges in the camp include communicable diseases like cholera and malaria and faced with the problem of inadequate supplies of medicaments and personnel due to doctors' down tools in Benue State, the seriousness of the situation compelled the Nigerian Air Force Medical Corps in Makodi, the Benue State capital, to wade in, volunteering a free service to help ease the situation. Air Vice Marshal Ishaka Amao says a full complement of health professionals are on ground to assist. For the next three days, we are targeting about uh, 4,000 people to be treated. We are taking care of the primary health care. We are look, looking at the, uh, the eyes, the ophthalmologists are here, the pediatricians are here, the nurses, and the, even we are looking at the sanitation also. The surgeons are also here to take care of uh, those that need surgical operations. The issue of inadequate healthcare delivery in terms of material and manpower may have been responsible for the death of a woman during child labor. Though the now deceased woman was delivered of a baby boy named Samuel, the husband of the victim said had there been vehicle to move her quickly to a nearby hospital, she could have survived. Last month, Nigerian government signed a partnership deal worth about $178 million with the World Health Organization to assist in the fight against communicable diseases. The deal is in addition to the assistance from the UN agency for IDP camps in the northeast of the country and services rendered by volunteer health organizations, including the Medicine San Frontiers. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins Nosa Atohengwe for Channel Africa News. South Africa's Deputy President David Mabuza says South Africans and the ruling ANC in particular should learn a lot from the late anti-apartheid struggle icon Mamawini Matigizela Mandel. Mabuza was speaking at Mamawini's official memorial service held at the Orlando Stadium in Soweto on Wednesday. The service was attended by several cabinet ministers and leaders of different political parties including Azapo, the PAC, IFP and the EFF. Ndebo Mukobo was there. It was a celebration of life well lived by the country's foremost struggle icon and cutting all political lines. Some opposition parties like the EFF and the IFP were well represented with us up when the PAC giving slots to pay tribute to someone they fought side by side to dismantle the evil system of apartheid in this country. And after saving and loving a political home, they and see until the last breath. All agrees there is a lot to learn from this fearless fighter as Deputy President David Mabuza explains. His political home, the ANC, 
has got a lot to learn from this gallant fighter. She valued collective leadership. She stood for the truth as it relates to the betterment of the lives of our people. She fought against factionalism. She fought against personality cuts. She was always more about we than I. Even when she was no longer in government, she understood the challenges facing the ANC and government. She always sought to find solutions to unite all our people and their organization. The deputy president also said a fitting tribute for Mamwini is the fulfillment of a promise of a better life for all and the full realization of a democratic and prosperous South Africa. The lasting moment we will ever build for Mama is for all South Africans to unite behind the vision of a united, non-racial, non-sexist, just and a prosperous country. We can do all this by relentlessly tackling poverty, reducing inequality, and selflessly saving the poor. We will be best leaving the values that she stood for. Azapo President Strike Tokwana says Mamuinu was central in the formation of the Black Consciousness Movement of Stephen Bantubiko in the 60s, as some of the elders who were the face of the liberation struggle inside the country. The people who formed the Black Consciousness Movement using the Black Consciousness philosophy, there were young people who also needed among themselves the elderly, because at the time there was skepticism as to what young people can do. So we went out to look for the progressive, the relevant. We reached out to Robert Sobukwe. We reached out to Mewini Mandela. We reached out to Ntato Mutana. We reached out to Ntate Matabate. And we found resonance. PAC President Narias Moloto, on the other hand, says Mamuini's political home, the ANC, together with Azapo and the PAC, waged the struggle for liberation to restore the dignity of the majority insisting that without land to the landless, that task hasn't been completed. When we celebrate the life of this great icon of our struggle, is that what can we do for her, both as liberation movement? The agenda of the liberation movement in this country is not, is, is not finished. It is not yet completed. Because the founding fathers of the two liberation movements emphasize, and to them, freedom is attained and is complete, when the land is returned to its original owners, the African people, so that the African people can gain their dignity. And as the mother of the nation, she has touched many lives, and that was testimony looking at the thousands that came out to celebrate her life. But more is expected again on Saturday as they come to say their final goodbyes. I am Tebu Mokobe in Soweto. Meanwhile, leader of South Africa's opposition, the EFF, Julius Malema, has criticized the ANC-led government of neglecting the legacy of the late struggle stalwart Mamawini Matigizela Mandel. The party held the memorial service in Majremasue Wu Township in Branford in the Free State Province. It is the place to which Mamawini and her youngest daughter, Zinzi, were banished for almost nine years during the apartheid era. Malema says Mamawini will be sorely missed as a principal leader. Apumelele Mlalani reports. In a rare show of unity, the EFF, the ANC and the DA ceased hostilities to honor the late struggle icon Winnie Matigizela Mandela. EFF leader Julius Malema held nothing back in his criticism following the delay in restoring House 802 in Majuma Suewu Township, to which Mama Winnie was exiled in 1977. It's not an exaggeration that the isolation of the people of Bramford is best represented by the fact that her prison cell, which is house number 802 across the street from us, is dilapidated. Yet the statue of Paul Kruger decorated Church Square in Pretoria, receiving protection from a democratic government. They could not protect the house that housed their own, yet they protect the statue of Paul Kruger. Embattled Cape Town Mayor Patricia Delil has commended Matikizela Mandela for being well-versed with the rules of politics. Mama also believed that the problems of our people 
knows no political affiliation. When you don't have a home, when you are landless, when you are poor, it doesn't ask you which political party you belong to. And she was there for every one of the poor people. ANC National Executive Committee member Dr. Siabonga Twele says, Mama Wini will forever be remembered as a selfless leader. As we give our banners and pay tribute to this heroine, we must draw inspiration from the sacrifice she made. In this era of hope, let us close ranks. Let us unite to ensure that the land which was dispossessed from the majority is returned to the oppressed and dispossessed Majority. Meanwhile, residents of Majomasweu say the death of Matikizela Mandela has helped to highlight socio-economic challenges afflicting the area. They don't have houses, they don't have toilets. We wish, in part of we need Matikizela Mandela, we wish to have a road. There's no, there's no road in Blanford. Uh, I wish that the museum will be, should, be, uh, should be done. EFF leader Julius Malema has reiterated that there should be a 24-hour operating clinic and a TVET college in Majumasweu. I'm Apumelele Mjalana in Majumasweu, Brentford. Attention, Attention to our listeners. listeners. On Saturday, the 14th of April, 2018, 2018, Channel Africa will be broadcasting live from the funeral service for the late South African struggle icon, Mama Winnie Matikizela Mandela. Tune in to Channel Africa on www.channelafrica.co.za and on Channel 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. Channel Africa, remembering Mama Winnie from an African perspective. It is 8.21 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our tributes continue to pour in for the late South African ruling African National Congress veteran, Dr. Zola Squeia. The politician passed away at the age of 75 yesterday in a hospital in the capital, Pretoria. He served as Minister of Public Service and Administration under the first black president, Nelson Mandela administration, and as Minister of Social Development during the Tabombeki administration. Squeia was to celebrate his 76th birthday this Saturday. For more reaction on this, we are now joined on the line by ANC veteran Tami Ndendeni, who is Head of Communication at the Tabo Mbeki Foundation. Good morning, Mr. Ndendeni, and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, good morning, and uh, thank you very much for inviting me to participate in your in the program, Rise and Shine. Now, Mr. Ndendeni, South Africa is gripped by yet another difficult and painful period. It has been a very hectic week the past two weeks with uh, um, three losses, that of Mamawini and uh, a former ambassador of Nigeria, George Nene. And yesterday it is a veteran struggle, um, icon Zola Squeia. Just take us through that. What does that do? What does that do for people who worked with them and people who knew um, uh, Dr. Squeia and uh, um, uh, people like you? Just uh, take us through who he was and the sort of person that he was. Yes, um, indeed, it is. Um, it is very. It is a very devastating thing that uh, we have lost these uh, veterans and stalwarts. So quickly and soon after after the other. And, you know, for for some of us who worked very closely with some of these uh, veterans and stalwarts, they, 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 were like, uh, uh, they were like our brothers, they were like our fathers. I mean, I worked with uh, Comrade Zolaskia when he was uh, the chief representative in Ethiopia. And... Uh, we were young, we went into exile very young, and uh, we had left our families behind, and the ANC became our family. And the elderly and senior comrades that we found 
treated us like their own children and they grew us and they nurtured us in the politics of the ANC. And we survived the pains of exile because of this, uh, because of the nurturing and uh, the support that we got from, uh, from these senior comrades. Uh, no. I would say that... Uh, com- no, continue, continue, Mr. Tindin. No, I would say that, um, like I was saying, even as comrades of North Korea, I knew him personally, I was with him. And uh, he was he, the person that, uh, very, very kind person, very humble, I mean, when I was there with him in Ethiopia, he treated me like his son, actually, and uh, he made sure that uh, I I felt like uh, he is my father. But besides that, from a political point of view, I think that uh, here you have a person who joins the struggle at the tender age of 14, joins the, the, he joins the ANC Youth League, and uh, soon after, that is 1956, and uh, after the Sharpeville uh, massacres, when after the Sharpeville massacres and the ANC adopts and um, struggled as a method of uh, fighting against apartheid, he's amongst the first people to leave the country, and he goes and he trains in the then Soviet Union military, and then he is then sent to school in Leipzig where he qualifies as a doctor. He qualifies and uh, gets a, a, doctorate, a doctorate in law. So he then became, uh, he then became, uh, he, he led or he became head of the Department of Legal and Constitutional Affairs of the ANC. In that capacity, Comrade Zolaskri, was the one who led and uh, actually formulated or laid the foundation for the constitution of South Africa because the basis, uh, uh, the first constitution, the interim constitution of 19, uh, 1993 was uh, was based on the work that was done by um, Comrade Jonas Kreia under the supervision of the late President uh, Oliver Tambo. Now, what was his stance of the current political landscape and leadership in uh, South Africa? Was he happy or didn't? What did he exactly say with regards to how he felt things were going? I would say, I could say actually that um, Comrade Zola was very critical about the state of affairs here in South Africa. And I, I say so from an informed point of view because I have been participating in the, I've been participating in the work of the veterans and stalwarts, the group that is uh, the 101. And even as Comrade Zola was uh, still was very fragile and his health was failing him, but he continued. He continued to attend the meetings of the veterans and the stalwarts, and uh, he really felt that uh, uh, the Zuma administration was uh, the Zuma administration was not leading the country in the right direction and he felt that uh, something had to be done and uh, as I say he participated in the meetings of the veterans and the stalwarts and he contributed very very actively in those meetings. Now, with the change of God and the new um, administration and the new leadership of uh, um, President Cyril Ramaphosa, what was his take on the change of leadership that took place in December? Well, we all felt that uh, with the change of leadership, uh, with the change of leadership, we then have uh, a new, uh, a new sympathetic uh, leader. You will re- you will recall that Comrade Cyril Ramaphosa, amongst the first things that he has done is to meet with the veterans and the stalwarts and have a discussion with the veterans and the stalwarts. So we are we were 
all of us of the opinion that uh, we need to give several public several Ramaphosa the opportunity to actually um, lead lead the country and lead the ANC out of the morass in which it finds itself in. Unfortunately, that is the time that uh, Comrade Zula was now getting even more. Uh, he was his uh, his health was beginning to fail him even more. But as I say, he was at all times there, and he acted as a beacon, really, in guiding and contributing to the discussions of the veterans and the stalwarts. So we will miss him greatly because here is somebody who has who has uh, accumulated experience. Um, experience right from the from 1956. That means that's more than uh, that's more than uh, 50 years of experience in the struggle for liberation in South Africa. Now, very quickly, just in wrapping up, uh, um, do you think that uh, the legacy of uh, um, the stalwarts and veterans of the African National Congress or all political parties, do you think enough is being done to ensure that the younger generation and the youth are able to to learn and and grasp at what um, veterans went through and had to deal with during those difficult times? That is a very, very important question. And, uh, you know, when uh, President Tabundegi was speaking on, uh, on, uh, uh, on, on an interview, I think, with the SAPC, he did touch on this question, and he said uh, we were probably not doing enough to inculcate or to impart the experience of the veterans and the stalwarts to the younger generation. I think it is important that um, as a movement, as a country, uh, as a country, we invest as much as is possible in the younger generation so that they are familiar with the history and the historical experience of the stalwarts and the veterans and what we went through so that this becomes part of their process of growing up. It is only when these young people, the younger generation, know what the what it is, what price was paid for the liberation of South Africa, that they will understand how important it is to defend the freedom and the constitution of South Africa that we are having today. If we don't do that, then we are in the risk of repeating the same mistakes that have been repeated in the past. And as uh, you veterans like to put it, um, the younger generation, they need to ogohabula. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for allowing me time to participate in your program. Thank you, Mr. Ndendeni. That is uh, um, Tami Ndendeni, Head of Communications at the Tabombeki Foundation, joining us on the line. It is 8.33 and our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, the Algerian government declares three days of national mourning following the military plane crash in which 257 people were killed. A Cairo military court sentences 36 people to death over their involvement in attacks against Coptic churches in Egypt. And two memorial services are planned for South African struggle icon Winnie Madigizela Mandela in New York, who died last week at the age of 81 in South Africa. Those are the stories making headlines.
Do you know a young entrepreneur making a difference in your community? The Anzisha Prize Award competition is looking for young African entrepreneurs with innovative solutions to social challenges or successful businesses in their communities. 20 finalists from across Africa will win a trip to South Africa for a week-long entrepreneurship workshop and conference at the African Leadership Academy. Nominate a young entrepreneur between the ages 15 and 22 for a chance to win a shared amount of 100,000 US dollars and become an Fellow. Competition entry is free and the closing date is this Sunday, the 15th of April, 2018. Reach out to all young entrepreneurs and encourage them to apply for the Anzisha Prize Award on www.anzishaprize.org forward slash apply. Alternatively, check Channel Africa's website for details at www.channelafrica.co.za and look for the Anzisha Prize Award competition. Health experts say new breastfeeding guidelines released this week can help save the lives of thousands of children every year if implemented. To do this, breastfeeding needs to become the norm, not the exception. In rich and poor countries alike, as Senior Regional Advisor of Nutrition at the United Nations Children's Fund, Dr. Victor Aguayo, explains. What's new is that the 10 steps for successful breastfeeding be part of standards of care in every maternity in a country. Uh, that not be optional. And how are you going to uh, achieve that? Well, we're going to achieve that by supporting governments to have legislation and policies in place that make of the protection of breastfeeding the norm and not the exception or an option, and that it be placed at the heart of the quality of care improvements. What is the importance of breastfeeding? What is the uptake at the moment? The glass is half full, that is, there is increasing recognition among researchers, among practitioners, among mothers and fathers and families that breastfeeding is the best start in life. So I am optimistic that there is increasing recognition that that is the case. And there is an increasing number of mothers and families who would choose to breastfeed their babies but they don't get the support they need to do so. So what we're asking for is that from the maternity, that is from our number one, throughout the process of bringing up the baby, mothers and families be supported to breastfeed if they choose to breastfeed their children. What are the benefits, the immediate and long-term benefits of breastfeeding? What are the risks of not doing so? The benefits are multiple, and the research is quite strong on that. We know for a fact that breastfeeding protects life, that is, it saves thousands of lives every year because it avoids infection, it avoids contamination, and it provides the child with all the nutrients the child needs in the first six months of life, which is why we are advocating that every child be exclusively breastfed in the first six months. That means giving the child only breast milk, no other liquids, no other solids, no other foods. So there are benefits for survival, that is protecting life, but there are also benefits for growth. Children who are breastfed grow healthier. They are less prone to be too short for their age. They are less prone to be overweight later in life. It also promotes better development. There is evidence that children who are breastfed have IQs that are higher than children who are not optimally breastfed, and that it also improves um, school readiness. And increasingly evidence, as we said before, that children who have been breastfed are at lower risk of becoming overweight and obese later in life. There are benefits for the child, but there are also benefits to women. We know that women who breastfeed have a lower risk of different types of cancer, including breast cancer and ovarian cancer. And last question to you. Presumably, you're going to have to tackle the elephant in the room, the formula milk sector, which is a $40 billion sector. It has its place, of course, uh, and uh, you're not against uh, providing supplements to children who need it. But uh, what are you telling your member states? What we're telling our member states is that breast substitutes in some circumstances can save lives. And when there are medical reasons to use a breast milk substitute, a breast milk substitute should be used. But that needs to be the exception. That cannot be the norm. Therefore, producers of breast milk substitutes need to make sure that their internal policies and their marketing practices are aligned with the International Code of Marketing of Breast milk Substitutes, which is very specific about making sure that mothers 
and health practitioners are not targeted with marketing practices and that breastfeeding be the norm and not the exception. Having said that, if a family or a mother chooses to formula feed their child, they also need to be supported and they need to be provided with the information about the potential risks of doing so and how to do it safely. That was Dr. Victor Aguayo, Senior Regional Advisor on, of Nutrition at the United Nations Children's Fund, speaking to you in Radio's Daniel Johnson. The UN Food and Agriculture Organization is encouraging Central African states to promote micro-gardening in cities as a way of fighting a galloping unemployment and crime wave among the youth. The UN says food sufficiency will be assured while hundreds of thousands of youth leaving rural areas for the cities will find gainful jobs in the initiative which has been successful in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Muki Kinzaga reports from the conference center in Yawunde where an international forum on horticulture is underway. Urbanization in low-income countries goes with high levels of poverty and food insecurity. Most of the income the already poor new city dwellers raise goes for feeding. In sub-Saharan Africa, the Food and Agriculture Organization reveals that 52% of the population of rural areas is moving to the cities for better living conditions, thereby increasing the numbers of the unemployed and adding pressure on scarce food resources. The FAO is now suggesting that countries should embrace urban and peri-urban horticulture. According to Malian-born Usman Gindu of the Food and Agriculture Organization, creating micro-gardens in cities is also assuring food security and creating jobs. Actually, in the case of developing countries in general, urban population now is 52%, which means that we have also to assist the government in providing additional food for this rapidly increasing urban population. And horticulture, which involves the production not only of flowers, but also roots and tubers, and also fruits and vegetables, is one of the means to improve food security. In the case of developed countries, it took centuries before the rural urban migration led to a majority of the population living in urban areas. While in the case of developing countries and sub-Saharan Africa in particular, it just that happens in about 10-20 years time. So this led to some challenges because most of the people who migrate from uh, rural areas to the urban areas are young. And, of course, it's a challenge for the government to find employment for them, and horticulture, urban and peri-urban agriculture, is one of the means, in addition to improve food security, also is a means to create employment, especially for women and for the youth. The participants have learned that flourishing urban and peri-urban horticulture sectors have been highly successful in the capital city of the Free State Province of South Africa, Bloemfontein, with many youths having gainful employment and the city beautified with its green theft. The Democratic Republic of Congo is, however, Africa's leading example of urban horticulture, Usman Gyondo says. FAO is uh, assisting more than 20 countries in Asia, in Africa, and in Latin America in the area of urban uh, and peri-urban horticulture. In the case of uh, Central Africa, for example, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, FAO has been assisting the government for the past 10 years. Through a project they have in uh, urban and peri-urban agriculture, they have created about 16,000 direct employment, 60,000 of indirect employment for all those involved in the value chain of urban and peri-urban horticulture and generated over 200 billion SEFA francs 
in the 10 years, which is about 20 billion CFA francs a year. It also leads to have green cities, which is important from an environmental point of view. Lastly, sir, there should be a conflict of competence somewhere here. Who owns the land? It may be owned by the government, by individuals, or by the local councils. In that case, how will the youths coming from rural areas invest in that land? This is a very important point. Access to land and access to water are critical for a successful program in uh, urban and peri-urban horticulture. And also, this program has to be considered within the larger agricultural policy program of the government. And what is the input of the FAO? FAO is first and foremost the specialized technical agency of the United Nations. So our first contribution is in terms of assisting the government in developing the strategy and a plan of action made up of projects. FAO's assistance is both technical but also financial. The FAO is helping the countries to optimize policies and support services, boost production and enhance the horticulture chain. Stakeholders from African governments, local councils and landowners are examining how access to land and fertilizers can be made possible for interested youths who are in the cities and constitute a majority of the unemployed. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzuka in Yawundi. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhoko. Good morning. South Africa's state power utility, ESCOM, is sounding out possible buyers for its mortgage business in what would be the first major privatization deal under President Cyril Ramaphosa. Ramaphosa has made revamping state-owned firms like ESCOM a top priority as he seeks to reverse years of economic stagnation and mismanagement under his predecessor, Jacob Zuma. South Africa is exposed to ESCOM via over 16.7 billion U.S. dollars of state guarantee. South African motorists have reason to get worried as they may need to prepare to pay more at the pump at the beginning of next month. Analysts say the latest rise in the price of brand crude oil and the slight depreciation of the rand could spur another petrol price increase. The South African Petroleum Industry Association's Khadibulai Dikabi says that the Central Energy Fund's latest numbers point to a fuel price hike. Uh, the price movement in South Africa is mainly in, influenced by two factors, the exchange rate, dollar rent exchange, and the international oil price movement. Based on the latest information from the Central Energy Fund on the 10th of April, uh, the price of fuel is under-recovering. At this moment, that signals that there is going to be an increase in fuel price. South Africa's Deputy Reserve Bank Governor, Francis Hruppe, says nationalization of a central bank is not against international trends. There is an outcry from some quarters for the South African Reserve Bank to be nationalized. Hruppe says only seven central banks worldwide have private shareholders, and the South African Reserve Bank is one of them. He, however, warned of devastating economic conditions if a central bank is not independent. Hruppe says the South African Reserve Bank doesn't have any particular preference on whether or not it should be nationalized. So I guess the question really for me is when people ask for the nationalization of the bank, what do they think? How do they think the bank will conduct itself differently? Because nationalization in and of itself is inadequate to change the way the bank functions because how we function and operate is derived from the constitution. Ghana's economy has expanded by 8.5% last year. Growth in the fourth quarter of 2017 reached 8.1% compared to 9.7% in the third quarter. The third quarter was revised upward from 9.3%. 
Uganda's ICT and Guidance Minister Frank Tumwebaze says that there is no proposal to levy tax on Ugandans for owning and using accounts on social media platforms such as WhatsApp and Facebook. The minister says there is nothing like social media tax, nor there is such a proposal, adding that those services were a potential revenue stream and would generate additional income into the country's fiscus. The U.S. dollar trades at 12.1 to the South African rand. It's at 9.47 in Botswana and at 9.42 in Zambia. In BRICS currencies, the U.S. dollar is trading at 3.39 Brazilian rail, at 6.333 Russian rubble, and at 6.497 Indian rupee, and at 6.27 Chinese yuan. It's also trading at 7.0 pence to the British pound and at 8.1 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,350, platinum at $928 pounds. The price of Brent crude oil is at $72.33 a barrel. A sports update up next with Neto Chimani. Thank you, Lulu. A very good morning to you all, sport fans. Starting off with Commonwealth Games news, Castasimena has cruised into the women's 800-meter final at the Commonwealth Games on Australia's Gold Coast. Semenya dipped under two minutes, crossing the line in one minute, 59.26 seconds. She was the fastest qualifier heading into tomorrow's final. Semenya made headlines earlier in the week when she won a gold in Tuesday's women's 1,500-meter final. Her winning time of 4 minutes and 71 seconds sliced 1.1 seconds off Zolapad. 1984 South African record and ends Semenya her first Commonwealth medal to go with a swath of Olympic and world titles over 800 meters. Five more African athletes may have vanished from the Commonwealth Games, organizers said this morning after eight competitors from Cameroon were suspected of fleeing a day earlier. Gold Coast organizers confirmed reports that athletes from Rwanda and Uganda were thought to have gone missing, while they were also looking to verify the whereabouts of two squash players from Sierra Leone. More than 100 athletes overstayed their visas at the 2000 Sydney Olympics. The athlete visas for the Commonwealth Games expire on May the 15th. Said. Eight athletes from conflict hit Cameroon, one-third of the Central African country's 24-strong team, were said to be missing from Commonwealth Games yesterday, sparking an Australian border force manhunt. On to football news. Asan Wenger has warned his Arsenal side not to be complacent with their three-goal lead over CSK Moscow, heading into the second leg of the Europa League quarterfinal tonight. Europa League is important for us, everybody knows that, and uh, we are at a stage where, of course, we focus on it, because in the Premier League we have very, uh, very, very, very slim chance to get further up, but uh, the Europa League is, of course, uh, one of the big targets of the season now. Wenger's comments come after Roma's shock 3-0 win to knock Barcelona out of the Champions League quarterfinals, despite the Catalans winning 4-1 in the first leg. Arsenal leads the tie after beating the Russian side 4-1 in London and will be hoping to progress as far as they can in Europe's second tie competition. We are in a position where I don't think we are under threat of complacency. Uh, we know it's an important target for us to go as far as possible. And uh, as you said uh, last night, this may be a good warning for us. And uh, let's be uh, uh, not go overboard as well. Yes, we have still a big job to do, but as well uh, we are in a strong position and it's how we approach the game that uh, will be vital tomorrow. 
Kaiser Chiefs chairman Kaiser Matawung has confirmed that the struggling PSL Giants will make drastic changes to the team at the end of the season and not only the playing personnel but technical team too. Matawung was speaking during the FIFA technical division visit to the Chiefs village at Naturena yesterday. On Tuesday, Chiefs, who have not won some silverware for the past two seasons, released a strongly worded statement confirming that there will be an overall at the end of the season. Fortunately, time is, 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 is not on our side for, for this season. But I'm hopeful that uh, the next season, as, as we look back to, the, to this past season now, the, the next season will, will actually things will work, work, work out better. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of changes, not necessarily uh, on the playing staff, but uh, there might be a, f- one, a few changes in the playing staff. But also we have to look at the whole structure of, 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 of the team and the technical staff as such without making any uh, decisions at this point in time. We obviously have to work towards the end of the season. Mm-hmm. But uh, unfortunately, we are not in a position now to introduce drastic changes because uh, it does not make sense because we just at the end of the season. And uh, we have to make sure we, 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 we do the right things and take the right decisions. Stay tuned on Channel Africa for programming news and sports from an African perspective. Back again in an hour with more sports news. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka. Recapping our top stories in Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa. South African rival parties unite to pay tribute to struggle icon Mama Winnie Madigizela Mandel. Condolences pour in for South Africa's former ambassador to the UK, Zola Squeya and concerns over worsening humanitarian situation in refugee camps in Nigeria. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutura Magadza and Khumutu Mopulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Africa or at channelafrica1. You can send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or WhatsApp on 277-6300-3327. Are taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is DDM featuring Vimbai the Poet with a song titled Winnie Mandel. She carries people with hope, people with tears, people with fear. She was by the woman in waiting. But in the I know the nine times table, nine months full of child, 18 months, 27 years, 12 years, Dialila, Abandiva, Dialila, Abandiva, Dialila, Abandiva, Dialila, Gapagati, Dialila, I work. Wait, Dililamna, a woman, a woman with hope, a woman with love, a woman who sees. Ah, Ungubani, Ungubani, Unguin, Matigizela, Mandela.
Pressure. 